Well, it's week two of the 88th legislative session. This week, we got to hear from both Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick as they reiterated some of their legislative priorities for the 88th legislative session, which includes things like property tax relief and school choice. We discussed their growing list of lawmakers hiding behind the idea of having to, quote, bust the spending cap to provide actual property tax relief to Texas taxpayers. We discussed the growing potential for expanded gambling here in Texas and some of the issues surrounding corporate welfare that will likely come as a result. And lastly, we discussed the growing fervor over an impending debt ceiling debate in Congress and the opportunity it potentially presents for fiscal conservatives. All of that and more in Episode 3 of Taxpayer Talks. Let's get into it. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. I'm here with Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director. My name is Tim Harden, TFR president. Uh, it's been uh, kind of a slow week, but we've had some uh, some issues. We had the inauguration and everything this week. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you kind of uh, fill us in on what what happened at the inauguration with uh, with Abbott and with Patrick? Yeah. So for those that may not have seen right every every cycle, right, there's the official inauguration of both the governor and lieutenant governor, who, of course, are elected statewide. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's full of a bunch of fanfare, if you will. A lot of uh, almost all the lawmakers attend right from both the House and Senate. They kind of have this official gavel in there and everything. And it's it's kind of a good preview. It's not the official announcement of legislative priorities uh, for both of them, but it's a good kind of preview and they've given some already as well but a preview of maybe what they're focused on or what their vision is for both the legislative session um, and beyond it's also kind of a you know a victory lap if you will post election uh, where they get to kind of talk about what worked and didn't um, you know and, and how texas is still the shining city you know on the hill and all that kind of stuff um, and then you know obviously that's the thing that gets all the news but the reality is it's kind of this all-day affair that i think caps out with a gala right that took place um you know and and there's a lot of um what you see is if you tune into the inauguration outside of the elected officials that are there, it's basically the biggest donors, right, that get invited to kind of sit up there just like it is on the national level when the president gets inaugurated. You know, it's the people that are kind of in the closest or inner, inner circles that you see um, uh, there. And so um, ultimately what came out of that uh, is you had both the governor and lieutenant governor speak. You had uh, the the um, speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, speak too, but it was more just ceremonial. He didn't really give much of a speech speech, um, if you will. So you had the lieutenant governor go first and kind of talk through his priorities. There wasn't necessarily anything new that we haven't really heard previously um, in his speech. He did, you know, notably double down on providing property tax relief, right? Um, stop short as he has previously of getting much, if any, uh, details, did talk about how it will be in the billions, as we've commented before, right, kind of this nondescript, you know, what does that mean um, at the end of the day, and then spent a little bit more time talking about how he wants to increase the homestead exemption 
um, um, even higher, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and that was kind of, you know, you talked about school choice, right? Um, on there, he talked about some of the other, uh, priorities that aren't necessarily under our purview. Then you had the governor speak and similarly kind of regurgitate a lot of the same things that he had previously. Notably, he tripled or quadrupled down on the idea that he wants to provide the largest property tax cut in Texas history, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a second. Um, he also, the governor also talked about, uh, you know, empowering parents, um, you know, which is uh, basically them talking about school choice again. Notably, again, right, we still don't have details on what a school choice initiative looks like um, that maybe is different from efforts previously. Um, and, and that kind of wraps up like what the inauguration was um, before the, the rest of the fanfare started uh, throughout the day. Yeah. I, you know, a few things uh, I think we, we need to focus in on, you know, we're not going to focus on everything they talked about, you know, things that are in our wheelhouse specifically have to do with, you know, property tax relief, uh, fiscal issues, uh, and even things like school choice. And to kind of start with school choice, uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, Patrick and Abbott, I believe, both uh, mentioned uh, the the hardship of bringing school choice to rural districts, and they both echoed, we have a plan to bring school choice to rural districts where we're not going to upend, I guess, the, the schools that are there. They kind of alluded to it. They didn't give any details. Uh, and so they, they basically said, we're going to see a bill here pretty soon, and they're going to deal with rural districts in a very specific way. Patrick, of course, came out, I want, I want to say a month or so ago, and said that he would bracket out school districts. It sounds like people pushed back against them a little bit there. And so the, it looks like they're trying to find another solution to that. Uh, as far as, you know, uh, whether or not this is a good thing fiscally, it's going to be solely dependent on what that bill looks like uh, and whether or not we're, we're growing government or whether or not we're giving, you know, genuine school choice and putting power back in, in parents' hands. Uh, to, to look at kind of what Patrick, I think you're right, the, the biggest thing he said was that they're going to take the current homestead exemption, this is going to be in SB1, which I believe is coming up today, we're recording on Wednesday, uh, and they're going to raise it to 70000 I believe is what they said. And so that's almost, uh, I think it's a 40 right now, right? So that's that's almost double what it is right now. Uh, and he alluded that he would bring, you know, a few billion dollars in compression. He's been kind of very standoffish of saying a specific number. Um, you know, he, he's been really kind of more flip-floppy in, in how he's dealt with the property tax and to, and to give uh, Abbott credit. Uh, he's been pretty consistent in his messaging. I uh, haven't heard him say, you know, in that debate where he said he, his goal is to eliminate school property taxes. I haven't heard him reiterate that lately, but he has again and again said, we are going to bring the biggest uh, property tax decrease in Texas history. And when we run the numbers, I believe it was back in, I think, uh, 14, 15, 16, uh, somewhere where they put down about 15 billion, 14 or 15 billion. And so if we add in inflation, if we're talking about a legitimate biggest break in history, that's going to put us right around 20 billion in compression, which is major. Uh, of course, we we want as much as we possibly can get. Uh, the, the current surplus is at 32.6 trillion dollars, uh, which if we used all of that, it would, it would be even better. But the fact that if he really is going for the genuine historic uh, biggest decrease in history, and we end up with 20 billion in compression, one likely that would break the uh, the cap, which we'll, we'll have to talk about as well. Um, but uh, that would be significant, and and that with in in addition to a 70k uh, homestead exemption increase, uh, it, taxpayers could come out really great if they come through with the rhetoric uh, that they have been speaking about. Uh, what what are your thoughts on there, 
comments. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we've commented on before, there's a few things here, but the thing that's really missing is, you know, we can't talk about it in a vacuum. Yeah, we've heard from the governor and we've heard from the lieutenant governor who, you know, the lieutenant governor has gone out of his way to like kind of create this narrative that he's on no different wavelength than the governor is, even though, I mean, if you read into his comments, he seemingly is. But we haven't really heard much from the Speaker of the House, right? And that is one of the chambers in which, uh, I'm not going to say it's concerning, but, you know, here we are, what, uh, in the second week of the legislative session, we haven't heard uh, very much other than um, in his, uh, as we reported on, right, in his initial speech um, after uh, after securing uh, the win, Phelan mentioned appraisal reform, uh, which, you know, I, I don't think we're against appraisal reform, but I think at the end of the day and kind of the meta narrative that is the property tax relief that Texas taxpayers need, why are, why are we only talking about appraisal reform when we should be talking about providing actual relief that taxpayers can feel. Now, at the end of the day, the other thing, you know, I don't want Dan Patrick to come out of this necessarily unscathed either. We've been somewhat critical of the um, the approach to just the homestead exemption increase uh, previously too, even though that would be great, right? Like, I don't think anyone would be like, oh yeah, please don't increase my homestead exemption. At the end of the day, it just shifts the burden, right? To, to other people. And, and as a, you know, fiscal watchdog organization, um, I don't think we're necessarily supportive of that approach when right now we have the opportunity, lawmakers have the opportunity to not only take a huge chunk and a huge bite out of this, like this kind of this burden that keeps increasing on taxpayers, but really put us on a path to the elimination of the tax, which is what, you know, they really should be talking about. And to Governor Abbott's credit, he's at least been the lone guy uh, that's mentioned that previously. Also to Abbott's credit, right, and, and you're right, I don't believe I've heard since the debate, right, him talk specifically about um, putting us on a path to elimination. But, you know, there was kind of a question, right? You had back in July, you had the comptroller uh, give us the estimate of about $27 billion surplus. Obviously, as of last Monday, that was increased, right, to 32.6, 32.7 billion. And there was the thought like, okay, well, Abbott made those comments about half at the $27 billion mark. Is that still apply, right, for 32.6 or 32.7 billion mark? And, of course, he, he did mention it again, right? And so um, I think, you know, I guess we'll get to this. Uh, there, You can't have that conversation, obviously, without also talking about the spending cap that exists, right? And then all the other priorities that lawmakers are trying to do, right? If you're trying to do a school choice program, you're going to have to visit school finance, which is tied, right, to property taxes, or at least how we uh, do that here in Texas. And so there's a, there's a lot going on in this conversation. It is somewhat worrisome, granted we're early in the session, but worrisome that the big three are not necessarily on the same page yet. Um, on the subject. Yeah, uh, that, that is worrisome. You know, uh, Abbott did make some comments to where uh, it it seems like he's going to come out and try and drive drive the bus, right? But ultimately, we know uh, that that's not necessarily how it always happens. Uh, I think it's, it's worth to comment uh, and, and kind of go back to the homestead exemption. You made the point that um, that's, it's great, but ultimately, it is a carve out, right? Uh, and ultimately, that is going to affect other people. They're still going to collect the same amount of tax if we don't mess uh, with, uh, you know, local, uh, you know, political subdivisions and how they tax people. And so, what that means uh, for people who who don't understand is, you know, if you live in your homestead and in your home, yes, you're going to get a tax break. But for the millions and millions, ten millions, hundreds, you know, of of renters in the state, 
those people who own those properties are not going to get that homestead exemption. And so ultimately, what does that mean? That means that rents are going to continue to rise. And right now, they're already historic levels. They don't have uh, the same caps that, that uh, homesteaded homes have. And so ultimately, uh, they're still going to collect the money that they want to collect. And so this is why carve-outs in general, whether it be elderly carve-outs or veterans carve-outs or homestead carve-outs, are, are just bad. They don't solve the problem. All they do is they assist politicians in getting reelected because they target demographics that vote a lot, mainly elderly people, uh, veterans, um, and so and 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 the homestead people, right? And so that's that is why they do this. Uh, they want to give people a break, but ultimately they want to be reelected. And so that's that's problem number one. Um, with with Abbott, you know, he came out. And I think Patrick said this as well. Uh, they are reiterating the the talking point that. Uh, you know, this surplus is your money. It's the taxpayer money, which I'm actually surprised they use that language because what they're conceding is all $32.6 trillion was an overcollection by government, which is not a for-profit entity. And so that is, in every sense, our money, 100% of that. And so when they come out and say, hey, you know, this is all of your money, but then when the solution is we're going to give you half of it back, um, it just uh, it, it's not a good narrative. And so I'm not I'm not exactly sure why they're conceding that uh, maybe maybe people, you know, just aren't going to catch on or maybe they're going to sell. Hey, we're going to use half of this to build out our infrastructure and secure the border, uh, things like that. But they are correct. This is our money. And we are of the opinion that the number one issue uh, when we talk to people is property taxes. Um, I think Patrick said uh, something along the lines of we're going to continue to give you property tax relief. I would push back against that because, as you know, when we go out and speak and we interact with voters and taxpayers, no one's property tax bill has gone down. Nobody's. And so in 2019, they passed historic reform. 2022 was really uh, the first year of, of, of the compression. We saw property tax bills continue to rise. We saw levies continue to rise. And so to say that they're going to continue to give us relief, uh, I would say is, is, is not true. They did produce good reforms, but ultimately what it did was this, this narrative we push back against, which is it's, it slows the growth of property taxes, but nobody's property tax bill went down, or very, very few. I would say a handful of Texans maybe experienced property tax uh, is actually going down. And so it's important if we concede that this is the taxpayer's money, that we give that back to the taxpayers directly. I want to say, what was it, TMF who's, who's supporting uh, a credit or something like that? Uh, that is the wrong way. Uh, that This is kind of the in the line of like buying votes, in my opinion. What we need is lasting perpetual policy and to be putting in the statute that this money goes directly back in the form of property tax MO compression uh, and hopefully putting us on a path towards elimination, giving people lasting relief. We have a historic opportunity this year. Yeah. And, you know, that opportunity is provided by the budget surplus, which we've talked about, right? Um, what I'm currently writing about, and of course, we we alluded to earlier, right, is the, the spending limit comes into play. Um, one of, I'm not going to say irritating, one of the kind of more curious things that's kind of come out of the, for those that maybe follow lawmakers, especially the last few weeks, there seems to be a lot of lawmakers who suddenly care about the spending limits, right? These are people who haven't necessarily communicated or talked about it previously, but because it potentially provides a convenient, right, sort of scapegoat, if you will, as to not use the entirety of the budget surplus, suddenly they care about it. Now, we're very blessed in Texas to where we have multiple constant like spending limits, right? We limit um, how much government can spend, cannot spend beyond its means or its ability to serve 
right? The uh, Texans. Um, that being said, um, and this is currently what I'm writing, right? Is I think you'd be hard pressed to find a taxpayer who would not support busting the spending cap for the sole purpose of providing them actual property tax relief, right? Not this kind of slow the growth um, approach you've talked about previously, right? But 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 something they can feel, right? Where they actually see their property tax bill go down because we've now bought down, right? The the maintenance and operations portion of the property tax. They can only, they, they can do that multiple ways, but really what we're talking about is doing it via the budget surplus. And so hiding behind this kind of like, this weird reasoning of of not being able to bust the cap for the cap that we're talking about by the way it's not the cap that was just recently adopted in 2021 right the one that this applies to is one that's been around for uh 50 years and it takes a simple majority vote right to to surpass it well you know who enjoys a majority in each chamber of the legislature republicans right and they, they've done so for the last 20 years and wouldn't you know it that also in their, their party's platform, not only does it talk about Republicans supporting the elimination of property tax, but it also talks about doing almost whatever it takes to get there, right, to provide property tax relief. Um, and so you would assume, uh, you know, I won't necessarily hold my breath as we've talked about previously, but you would assume that Republican lawmakers who, you know, ascribe to the, uh, the political party in which this is in their platform, right, full of these policy positions, would just kind of follow suit with this and have no issue. And I, I doubt you'd find any taxpayer who has an issue uh, with doing it for this purpose, right? We're not talking about busting the cap for the purposes of growing government. In fact, we're talking about doing the exact opposite. Now, the, the, the last thing I'll say on this, right, is like, to be clear, we have, we've been one of several, right, fiscal watchdog groups that have for years called for spending limits, right? Um, it was a big taxpayer win to have uh, the most recent one they had in the last legislative session. We're not, to be clear, talking about busting the cap, right, for purposes of growing government. We're absolutely talking about doing it, though, for the purposes of giving that money back to taxpayers. Yeah, it, it the whole point of a spending cap is to be good stewards of tax dollars. Uh, the spending cap that was passed this last go round uh, at population inflation, kind of the last step, is something that our organization has advocated for since you know mid two thousands, really. And so that was a big victory. Uh, the the issues that we're now running into that they didn't foresee on that cap um, is uh, the fact that inflation is at nine percent, and so the cap is now at twelve point uh, I think twelve point three percent is what uh, government is allowed to grow. And uh, you, you're right, it it there there is no reason to talk about the spending cap uh, in a way uh, negatively if we're talking about giving money back to taxpayers. We're we're not being bad stewards by breaking the cap. We're being good stewards. And as you said, we are lowering uh, lowering property taxes and actually shrinking the size of government. And you can see that in a real objective metric in your property tax bill. And so if we were able to eliminate M&O through compression because we break this property or this, uh, this spending cap, that your property tax bill would essentially be cut in half. Uh, it would also solve a lot of other problems that are associated with M&O, uh, Robin Hood and, and things like that. We, of course, would, would have to restructure education. This is why I'm interested to see what is going to happen with school choice, because I just think that we're going to have to talk about school finance, uh, even if we're just compressing rates, uh, even if they don't put us on a path to elimination this go round, 
We're still going to have to talk about school finance, and there's a number of problems associated with MO, uh, not just the fact that it just is pushing people out of their homes. Uh, and then you have you know, families who are either homeschooling or private schooling, they're paying into a system that they're not using. And so it's it's going to be very interesting. But you know, to your point, um, I think the reason that they say these things is because they're preying on the ignorance of most voters. I would assume you know, that probably 80, 90% of voters don't understand the budget or the spending cap. And so when they say, hey, we're going to be responsible stewards of this, this tax money, we're not going to break the spending cap. You know, most people are like, yeah, hey, good. You know, we want you to be good stewards. But what they don't realize is by keeping it, uh, you know, not breaking the cap, we're missing out on billions and billions and billions of dollars in compression. And this is a, one of these rare cases where breaking the spending cap is actually good and it will actually benefit Texas homeowners uh, majorly uh, this year. Yeah, you know, we've said it so many times, right? Like as illustrated by the budget surplus, we do not have a revenue problem. Here in the state of Texas, we have a spending problem. And it's interesting, you know, one of the things this has come up, at least as far as I can remember as a former legislative staffer, every cycle, right, this kind of comes up as well, what, what's another way we can get revenue, right? We don't have an income tax, right? Thank God in the state of Texas, you know, um, primarily most, uh, at least on the state level, most of the revenue that gov uh, government gets is from the sales tax. Obviously at the local level, that's slightly different. And we are just talking about the property tax uh, where, they, where they levy that. But wouldn't you know it this session, right? The, another thing that has kind of gotten a lot of uh, a lot of play, at least more so compared to other previous sessions, is that of gambling, right? Or expanding gambling. Now you're you're talking about that, right? Or, or writing about that. What are your what are your thoughts there? So yeah, so uh, you know, this all came up because Phelan had an interview uh, and basically said that that uh, he is for supports kind of a resort style. Um, casino gambling in Texas. And uh, I, I believe Erin Anderson with Scorecard wrote an article on this. And she was really highlighting, you know, how these people were donated by some of these large, you know, gambling corporations uh, and lobbyists. And so, you know, Phelan, Patrick and Abbott, I think, I believe all three have received money um, from various uh, gambling entities. And we can only assume uh, in order that they would support casino style gambling because uh, I don't. I haven't crunched numbers, but I would assume this is a multi-billion-dollar industry if it moves to Texas. And so, uh, of course, we we talk about this a lot. You know, a lot of times people bring up you know uh, marijuana legalization and taxing that uh, as a source of uh, income, which I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll have those conversations at some point too as people bring those up. Uh, but for for this week. Um, you know, I'm writing an article and I'm, I'm talking, I'm not necessarily getting into the ethics of, of whether or not, you know, gambling is, is right or wrong. There's actually mixed opinions on both sides of the aisle. If you go ask a Democrat, you go to ask a Republican, they're pretty split on its own. This is actually one of those rare issues that it's actually, you can't draw a party line. Uh, I know a lot of conservative Republicans that are for gambling. I know a lot that are, are bad and there's, and there's mainly moral or ethical arguments against it. Um, but TFR has been opposed to gambling, not necessarily in an ethical way. Uh, but because when we, we bring a new enterprise into Texas, what do we usually do? Well, we throw millions of dollars in tax subsidies, usually property tax abatements or grants or, or whatever. And we're taking, once again, taxpayer dollars and we're not being good stewards. So we're giving you know, money to very large corporations to build uh, and they get benefits uh, that ultimately come at the expense of the taxpayer. And so, um, you know, it is possible uh, that they come up with a bill that's a very unregulated gambling casino bill that doesn't involve subsidies, but I would just bet 
that whatever they come up with is going to involve millions and millions of dollars in subsidies. And it's really for that reason that we oppose gambling because it's just not a, a being a good steward of tax dollars. I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, Cuban, I believe in the last few years said, you know, if we ever legalize casino gambling, his plan is to build a new Maverick stadium and a big resort and a big casino style resort in Dallas, which who knows how much that's going to cost? I bet you would be over a billion dollars. And to think he, he currently does get subsidies uh, from Texas and even Dallas. And so to think that he is not going to get taxpayer dollars uh, is is just it's just not honest. I mean, he, he, they're going to if, if we even if it's limited and they have two or three casinos in Texas, the very likely outcome is there's going to be hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars that are used to subsidize these things. And for that reason, uh, we would oppose if it took that form. I mean, I think ultimately what you're highlighting, right, is there's tons of objections, but probably our most major objection with things like corporate welfare, right, which is it'd be it would inevitably be the government choosing winners over losers, right, who gets uh, to build a casino or build an establishment, right, that expands gambling. I mean, we technically do have some form of gambling in Texas. You've got game rooms, right, that have uh, slot machines and that sort of stuff, uh, obviously regulated, um, you know, but what we're specifically talking about here, right, is an expanded gambling form that would likely be the very large casinos, right, similar to what you see in many of the states that border Texas, right, and also inevitably what we're kind of not talking about, but, you know, mentioning in a different way is that tons of money will be poured into campaigns, right, into the political kind of atmosphere to ensure that they get these subsidies as kind of everything else that currently gets subsidized, uh, right? And, and certainly um, that's not good for taxpayers at the end of the day. But definitely, uh, it would not, at least in that form, be good for the everyday Texan that's just trying to engage with these things, whether or not it's a liberty issue um, or not. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds uh, this legislative session, but I think it was certainly worth highlighting, right? Because um, this always gets, right? It always comes up in one way or another every legislative session, at least in, in, in recent time. But I've definitely heard a lot more noise, especially from the leadership in both legislative chambers um, on this. And so it'll be interesting to see what form it takes. Yeah, uh, I think another thing we'll be paying attention to if if we do get a bill that, that has some serious you know weight behind it, is if this indeed does pass, even if it has subsidies, who's going to win these contracts, right? Is it going to be, you know, people associated with the lobby groups that, that donated to these? Is it going to be friend of a friend of, you know, Abbott or Patrick or Phelan? Um, that is typically what happens in politics is the people who win contracts are very close to and tied to, uh, you know, those who, who enabled it to happen. And so that'll be another interesting thing we should be taking a look at as well. Um, I do think it's probably worth our time to, to mention a little bit on uh, the federal level. Of course, you know, we we have a budget battle coming up or really a spending cap battle coming up. Uh, you want to kind of explain what's going on on the federal level, Jeremy? Yeah. So, of course, like it's kind of important to understand the stage. Right. So you have and it's really I think everything that I look at, it's like the end of May, early June. Congress is going to have to deal with the debt ceiling, right? And, you know, for uh, I'll try not to be too cynical, but every year I feel like um, Americans are subjected to kind of like doom is on the horizon, right? We need to increase the debt ceiling for insert purpose here, or we need to pass this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill because uh, government's not going to function and someone's not going to get mailed a check and what have you. And 
obviously we could spend a whole episode talking about this issue, but I think the thing that there's the biggest takeaways from this is that you've now got this kind of untested speaker of the house, right? The U S house and Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, for anyone that tuned in, right. Had to give concessions to, um, for lack of a better 20, right. More conservative lawmakers or congressmen, who kind of fought this fight before he was officially elected. And one of those concessions, right, deals specifically with this issue in that it was basically the promise that we would also simultaneously cut government spending if we're going to even have a conversation about increasing the debt ceiling. To my knowledge this week, right, you've had the president come out and just be like, this is completely a non-starter, right? You've had the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, of course, kind of fall in line and be like, well, why wouldn't we, right? We have to deal, it's kind of the things that you hear every year is, oh, well, our credit worthiness is going to be at stake and, you know, people aren't going to get their social security checks and, you know, it's the end of the world for everything. I think both you and I would probably agree that by continuing to kick this can down the road, uh, we're creating the end of the world in a lot of respects, right? We're creating an, an environment by which, you know, either current or future generations of Americans are going to have to continue to deal with a number that's already astronomical um, in, in our debt. It makes no sense to have something called a debt ceiling if you're just going to continue to raise that ceiling, right? Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's hilarious that I didn't even see myself having this conversation because if you've been in, in, in politics for, I don't know, I've probably been active since 2008, um, we were having these conversations at the beginning of the Tea Party movement. Uh, and, and you look at what you know our national debt was there just, a, I think, a few years ago. It was at 20 trillion. And here we are at $32 trillion. I would have thought we would have collapsed by now, quite honestly. I don't see how we haven't. Uh, I would assume it's our military might and, and other factors that are kind of uh, propping us I, up. I think me having the standard be the U.S. dollar, which yeah. is like no value, right? Yeah. I, it helps. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you look at BRICS and, and they are actively moving or trying to move away from the petrodollar. And so we don't really know what the next few years is going to look like. Uh, the dollar has been weakening as of late. Uh, and so really, you know, to get back to the, the debt ceiling itself, this is going to be the first test for Kevin McCarthy and those Republicans uh, on whether or not they're going to do what they said. Because Biden has come out and Schumer has come out and they're going to pull heartstrings. They're going to say, oh, people aren't going to get their paychecks. Oh, people aren't going to get Social Security. But the reality is, even if the government shuts down, like we've seen in the past, all of those people are reimbursed once once the you know they actually get the thing passed. And so if we're going to see how strong our representatives actually are. Are they willing to go to battle? And it is, I guarantee you, it is going to come down to a government shutdown because it's Biden and the Senate are going to call the bluff of the Republicans because they always concede and they're always weak. And so if they are going to come through and really, you know, press and say, hey, we want, you know, these 87,000 IRS agents defunded and all of the other little uh, things on their list that they want conceded to before they actually pass uh, this this debt ceiling, uh, we will see um, what they're made of, quite honestly. But I, I ultimately do, and this is, of course, my opinion, but I think it's going to come down to a government shutdown. And we could see the federal government shut down for weeks and weeks. Uh, and, uh, you know, looking at what happened with those those 20 who were just unwilling to compromise and they just kept voting no and they kept voting no and they kept voting. That is what it's going to take to break kind of the establishment system. They're gonna be called you know, horrible names. They're gonna say they don't care about veterans. They don't care about elderly people. But if we're going to have real change happen uh, in that DC swamp, 
That's what it's going to take. And so we're going to see what McCarthy's made of. And if he does not come through, we're going to see if that, you know, that motion to vacate that one single, if we see, you know, those 20 push back against McCarthy and try and uh, at least make a motion to vacate the chair, I think they would have to have a majority. I don't think it's it's likely they would actually vacate it, but we don't know. We'll see. Um, but there is a big, big test uh, coming up for these Republicans on whether or not they're going to do the same thing they always do and keep the status quo, or if this time is different and they're actually going to push back against the swamp. You know, we both now have now called it a big test, and I obviously agree. I think, you know, it should also be catched as an opportunity. You know, if those same folks, the Tea Party folks we alluded to earlier, these these Americans that were so concerned about government spending and debt deficits and everything back in 2007, 8, 2009, right? If those same folks aren't irate and don't want to take advantage of the, the opportunity that's presenting itself this cycle, right? Uh, to where, you, you know, I guess you could argue you've always had an opportunity, but I think it'd be a salient argument to say you haven't had as much of an opportunity as you have now, where at least on the House side, right? The, the people that control the purse or theoretically control the purse, right? Like, you have an opportunity via the rules, things that they've at least gotten promises of, right, uh, from someone who's in power, you know, as Speaker McCarthy to address this. Pressure should be brought to bear, right, uh, to to actually address this, to stop kicking the can down the road. If we kick the can down the road yet again, it, it, so you have to ask when it stops, right? Uh, at what point uh, do we stop selling our children and grandchildren the farm, right? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think that's the way I'm going to look at it is it's an, it's, an, it's an opportunity that has not been afforded to us previously as kind of fiscal conservatives. And uh, we should absolutely bring pressure to bear to make sure that they hold the line on this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I think for, you know, the next few weeks, uh, there's going to be uh, very slow news weeks, I would say, for the next uh, few uh, few weeks, especially in the Texas legislature. Um, you know, here pretty soon in the next, you know, two, three, maybe four weeks, uh, we will see them appoint committees or speak in sp uh, speaker feeling specifically uh, appoint committees. They're all requesting them right now. Uh, we've kind of gone over how that works with seniority appointments. And so that's really the big thing that's going to be going on in the House, um, of course, where they're not even really allowed uh, to to hear legislation, uh, aside from if uh, Abbott name, names something in his state of the state as an emergency item, uh, which usually takes place, you know, early February, uh, but we have no dates for that as well. Uh, but rest assured, we will be keeping y'all up to date with what is going on, even the slow news weeks. Uh, we appreciate y'all joining us. Please join us again next week on Thursday uh, for another Taxpayer Talks. Appreciate y'all. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. For even more content, head over to our website, texastaxpayers.com, where you can find all of our written content, the Fiscal Responsibility Index, and a whole host of resources that can help you navigate the already ongoing 88th legislative session. Make sure while you're there to subscribe to the Fiscal Note and Vote Notices to stay informed about issues that affect your wallet. Thanks.